a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. going to be really affected by climate change because it's our futures at risk. Today on KSL Plus. We shouldn't have to be the ones taking action. This shouldn't have happened in the first place. Record heat in Salt Lake City and across the Midwest. We weren't breaking records from the 1930s or from the 1950s. We were breaking records from five years ago, 10, 15 years ago. Wildfires and drought. The reason our reservoirs are so low It's not because we had one bad winter. It's because we've generally had about 16 bad winters in the last 20 years. This is climate change. Scientists say our climate is changing and that we play at least some role in it. And now an unlikely group is getting behind the climate cause, Republicans and the U.S. House of Representatives. I believe Republicans are the ones to lead out on this. Welcome to KSL Plus, KSL TV's digital-only news show and podcast. I'm Matt Rascone. Last month, Representative John Curtis launched the Conservative Climate Caucus. Proposals to reduce emissions and to be good stewards of the earth do not need to hurt the American economy. In fact, it's just the opposite. There is a way to lower emissions without sacrificing American jobs and principles. The group includes more than 60 Republicans, including all of Utah's representatives. It was a surprising step for some. It doesn't take a climate scientist to know that many Republican politicians, at least publicly, are some of the loudest deniers of the need to address climate change. But Representative Curtis wants to change that. Okay, perfect. Hey, thanks a lot, Congressman, for joining us. We appreciate it. I sat down with him virtually to discuss the caucus. Well, it's been a it's been a few weeks uh, since you know you launched this this caucus. So I wanted to kind of get a sense of what the reaction has been like in D.C. and here in Utah to this conservative climate caucus. Well, I tell you, the, the reaction has been very heartwarming to me here in D.C. Uh, of course, a, th- a third of the entire Republican uh, members of Congress signed up to be part of the uh, caucus. That's I don't know if any caucus has ever attracted that many people as quickly as we have. It's very, it's very rewarding. And I'm also very pleased. A number of my Democratic colleagues have, have sought me out and just really been pleased to see what we're doing. And, uh, and that's uh, many of them have given us uh, the thumbs up. They like it. They're pleased that we're, we're joining them. They have not, um, you know, they've not made it political. And that's just really exciting. And I, uh, I asked my team, like, well, what are the phone calls like coming in from, from Utah? <laughs> and curious to see. And they're uh, overwhelmingly positive as well, especially once people really understand what it is that we're doing. Okay. Uh, can you bring us back to where 
where this started, kind of what need you saw, what the gap was uh, that you were hoping to to yeah. when it comes to tackling climate change. Yeah, I think that uh, my personal opinion is it's been a mistake for Republicans and conservatives to not engage in this. And as a result, we're branded as not caring about the earth. We're branded as not having uh, our ideas. We're branded as denying science. And I don't think anything, any of those things are true, but I can see how we get that perception um, because a lot of my colleagues will run uh, from this. So um, I felt like it was time to turn that around and that conservatives had a lot of really good ideas that were very positively impactful on the environment. And we weren't advancing those because we weren't talking about it. And it was time for us to step up and, and ask for a seat at the table and, and be part of the dialogue. Yeah. Well, and of course, there have been bipartisan caucuses, right? And yes. So I, I guess the, um, the idea behind making this specifically Republican-based. Yeah, so a lot of people have asked that question because we, of course, want to do bipartisan work. And I think you've, you've kind of got to go back to the mission of the caucus, which is really to educate Republicans on um, conservative principles that are good for the environment. And um, so it's, it's just natural that it's for Republicans um, because we're exploring conservative ideas uh, to lower greenhouse gas emissions and do other things that are important for our environment. Yeah. And what, what does separate uh, in, in your mind um, the Republican or conservative approach to climate change as opposed to, you know, the Green New Deal and, and what, uh, what a lot of Democrats are talking about? In, in, in some respects, as I understand the Green New Deal, it, it, it represents um, a concept, right, to a lot of people. And it's very easy to say, right, Green New Deal. And, and I don't think uh, as a conservative, we've got that same nifty uh, way to package uh, our thoughts and, and things that we would put forward. And, and maybe that's something that we'll do as we move forward. But let me just share a couple of ideas to give you, uh, you know, a feel for some of the things that we would be advocating for um, as conservatives. Um, clearly, way out on the list is uh, U.S. innovation as in things like uh, carbon sequestration and, and direct air capture. Let me tell you why that's so important. Uh, right now, the U.S. emits about 14% of the uh, U.S. of the world uh, greenhouse gas emissions. We don't have a lot of things on the table that will will, will deal with China, Russia, and India's uh, massive amounts of carbon that they're putting out. And so, unless we can develop technology that actually pulls some of that out of the air, I think we're fooling ourselves that we can actually reduce the worldwide carbon. It's one of the reasons that, that these this innovation in, in direct air capture and sequestration is so important. Another one is nuclear. Um, by the time President Biden wants to, to cut our emissions in half, we'll also be cutting our nuclear in half because we're closing nuclear plants. And um, that is something that I think we've got to take a hard look at. And I'm fine with the fact that people have problems with nuclear as it is today. I think we can be talking about next generation nuclear, but that should be a, a, a solution that conservatives put on the table. And I think one that's probably most surprising to people uh, is this concept that fossil fuels can be uh, very important in reducing worldwide carbon emissions. We know that here in the United States, we've reduced uh, worldwide uh, carbon emissions dramatically. Uh, we've reduced more greenhouse gas emissions in the last decade than the next 10 uh, countries combined, uh, um, the next large carbon-reducing countries combined. How have we done it? We've done it with the fossil fuel, natural gas. So we ought to be talking about natural gas in China and India. You know, in, in India, um, well, the earth has a billion people without power. They're burning wood. 
Well, if we could actually replace that and coal with natural gas, we would make substantial reductions in worldwide uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So that's just a taste of some of the ideas that, that we want to advocate and, and put forward. And uh, there's a lot of ideas, and, and uh, it's important that we get busy and start sharing those. So what we're talking about are, are ideas that change the worldwide carbon picture, that impact the, the, the world and, and actually make a substantial difference. And what's really exciting about uh, these ideas is they, they don't kill the U.S. economy. In fact, they spur the U.S. economy. Uh, we get to export uh, our technology overseas and our innovation and our ideas, and at the same time, make substantial reductions in worldwide carbon. What are some of the, the challenges that you've seen or that maybe you, you foresee uh, within your own party with creating this caucus? You know, some who might look at this and say it's not necessary or, you know, you know something like that. Well, I think not everybody, not every Republican is ready to talk about climate, and I'm okay with that. Um, I would encourage them to come see what we're about, and I think they'll find that, that it's a safe home for conservatives. So that's an issue is being misunderstood uh, by the own party. Um, I think um, there are some uh, that view climate and they, they see all the agendas that are wrapped up in it, uh, the Green New Deal and social engineering, and they don't want to have anything to do with it. And, and, and I understand that, but at the same time, it's that attitude that's, that's kind of allowed us to be branded as, as not caring about the environment. And I just don't think that's true. On the other side, you, you may have you know, Democrats who are saying, looking at this and saying, well, too little, too late. You know, how do you respond to critics who are saying, you know, this is just a last-ditch effort to, to say, oh, yeah, we're on board, too? Well, I think um, there's, there's several things I'd say, and, and we've done a terrible job of talking about this as Republicans. But if you look back in history, we have actually a very strong record of protecting the environment. Um, and uh, for heaven's sake, the EPA, which we most of us hate now, was created by Richard Nixon. Uh, last fall, we passed a, a very bipartisan bill that put put uh, tens of billions of dollars into R&D for green products and, and reduced hydrofluorocarbons by 85%. And so I can show them and point to a long list of accomplishments that we just haven't bragged about. We, we, we've been silent on, and that's that's part of the problem. And uh, the second thing I'd say is, well, like, what have you done So that's been so good, right? Like, you've had all these ideas. You haven't been able to implement them because they're extremists. And so, like, you know, I'd be happy to match it idea for idea and what we've accomplished and what you've accomplished. And then most important, like, are you really serious about uh, changing uh, the picture? And if you are, you should embrace us. And it shouldn't matter to you uh, other than that we're ready to talk about. So much back and forth. I mean, you've kind of highlighted some of the, the back and forth here. But what do you what do you see as the the root of that division and the, and the problem here and how parties can yeah past that and look at what the real issue is. So I, I like to um, use this example, and, and that is if we talk about, for instance, immigration, and I, and I bring up the wall, and I say to a group of Democrats, unless you admit that the wall helps uh, with immigration, uh, you don't get a seat at the table. Well, the wall is packed, right, with emotion and, and, and all sorts of agendas and things like that that, that cause them to, like, tighten their chest and and, and put up their dukes, right? And, and so you're really not having a thoughtful conversation about immigration. And climate has much the same problem for Republicans. Just the word itself has all of this agenda packed into it, the Green New Deal, these extreme ideas. And so a lot of, a lot of Republicans don't hear, right, do you want to be a good steward of the earth? What they hear is these extreme ideas when, when the word climate comes up. 
I think part of the mission uh, that, that I want to uh, do is accomplish is getting people from both sides to kind of dial down the, the, uh, the rhetoric that makes this divisive and really focus on this concept of like, who can't agree with the fact that less pollution is better than more pollution, right? I mean, less trash is better than more trash, right? Like there's some really core common things here that we can agree on. And, and sometimes I think it's important to like take these litmus tests and these agendas and park them on the side for a minute. And, and let's just talk about something that, that's so obvious to all of us. Listen, I, I don't know a Utah that doesn't want to be a good steward of this earth. I just don't. I haven't met one who, uh, who doesn't want to leave it better than they found it. And when we connect on that level, there's a lot we have to talk about. Yeah. Uh, you see, uh, how, how big of a, of a task is it going to be? And what, what does the timeline look like for yeah. changing the, um, the perception of this issue? So I think the perception is changing quickly. Just the fact that that 64 of my colleagues jumped in and, and signed up for this, a third of, of the conference uh, signed up for this, tells you that on the Republican side that that perception is is changing quickly. And I think people are paying attention. Now, the burden is on us to be serious, right, and, and put forward serious ideas and advance serious ideas. And I think in the upcoming days and weeks and months as we do that, we'll be able to convince people that we're actually very serious about this. We've talked uh, about both sides kind of – you know, the, their take and, and going at it. Um, when you look uh, just as a, as a whole, I don't know, years down the line, the message that you, you hope will, will get out there to both sides and, and what you hope will. Yeah, I, I think this concept that conservatives do care deeply about this environment and that we have ideas and suggestions and solutions and we're ready uh, to, to meet people at the table and let the best ideas uh, surface to the top. And uh, I'm confident that as we do that, we'll find that the, this can be a huge winner for the U.S. economy, that it can create jobs, it doesn't have to kill the economy, and that we can be a world leader uh, in this. Now, at the same time, one of the things that's not being discussed right now is the science. And the science says that the Earth is going to warm no matter what. So even if we stop all greenhouse gas emissions tomorrow, 100% worldwide, we're on the trajectory of warming. And we're going to get drought and we're going to have sea levels that rise. and We're going to have tough uh, snow years. So we need to be talking about uh, adapting uh, to this changing world that we're in and mitigating uh, some of these things that are coming at us. And I I think that's part of the debate that's been missing that that we need to bring to the table is absolutely. Let's let's move as quickly as we can. Not saying it's not urgent. We don't need to move quickly. But even with that speed, we've got serious problems with the climate and, and those need to be addressed. No, I know we touched on Utah, but maybe just to emphasize kind of the uh, where you see Utah playing a role in this. And because, uh, of course, we're we're dealing with some of these issues like, you know, clean air is a, is a big hot topic here. So I'm really proud. I love it when Utah leads out on an issue. And I think we've done that. Uh, one of the first non-discrimination laws in the country um, we've, we've led out on clean air in, in, in many ways. Um, the, the immigration compact of, of, of about 10 or so years ago. I think Utah has frequently been a leader, and I'm kind of really excited that, that Utah is leading on this. And that I, I makes me proud uh, to be representing Utah and, and be a leader and be out in front on this.
Dutch representative Curtis said there are things we can agree on, like wanting to be good stewards of the earth. But sometimes the way we talk about the climate can get in the way of progress. Environmental education is crucially important because we live in the environment. We're here at Memory Grove Park in Salt Lake because we met up with Alex Purpura. She is the executive director for the Utah Society for Environmental Education. It has become really partisan, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what party you belong to. The environment affects you and your actions affect the environment. When it comes to communicating this to other people, I mean, I mean, we, we just spoke with Representative Curtis about, you know, the caucus he created within the Republican Party uh, for climate change. So what are some ways that we can communicate this message to people who maybe before weren't really uh, receptive to it? You know, I think that's a really great question. And, you know, we are really hopeful to see um, both Republicans and Democrats taking on the issue of climate change. Um, When we talk about the environment, we can't uh, not talk about climate. Everything is connected. And climate change is one of these big, wicked problems that's going to take everybody to be able to solve it. So similar to environmental ed and environmental literacy, being climate literate also means that you know and understand how the climate works and functions, how you're a part of it, how it impacts you, how you can get really great and solid information to help you make the best decisions possible. So when we have a broad-based coalition who's interested in tackling this problem, that's really great news. And when we think about communicating these issues, there's a lot of really interesting things at play. Because number one, it's a huge issue and the climate can seem really abstract. I often like give the example when I was a kid in elementary school, we talked a lot about the rainforests and coral reefs and those are really far away from us. But especially here in Utah, we're surrounded by incredible nature and that's why people live here. And climate change will impact how we interface and act with our our environment. So when we talk about, you know, getting people on board and thinking about these issues, it's this information piece, but it's also coming to people where um, their values and concerns are and not vilifying anybody for actions they may be taking or beliefs that they may hold and really coming together from a place of empathy, understanding, respect, and figuring out how we can work together to find common ground on things we agree on and move forward from there to find solutions. So what if someone comes up to you and says, what are we talking about when we say climate change? Yeah, absolutely. So I wanna give the caveat that I am not a climate expert. I'm an educator, so my background is in environmental education. I've been an educator for over a decade. So when somebody would come to me to say, you know, I I just really don't understand what this is about, that's actually a really great place to start from because you can say, well, here's what I know and understand. Here are some reputable sources that you can go to, whether that's information from federal, state, or local agencies, colleges, or universities. And then really trying to connect with that person, right? If somebody says, you know, oh, I uh, really love the Great Salt Lake. I know the Great Salt Lake has a reputation, but let's say somebody absolutely loves that lake. You can say, you know, we've seen over the years how the Great Salt Lake's level has really changed. And this year is one of the lowest levels um, in, in decades, right? That's something that impacts our, our community and it can impact you. 
So when we're having that conversation, it's really not a matter of trying to come at somebody with a ton of facts and change their mind and make them feel bad, but coming from a place of understanding. What's something that you like to do or part of your daily life that you may see being impacted or changed? And then what's some of the information that you can share and what are some of those shared values that you can tap into to really encourage somebody to make some changes in, in their life to hopefully combat climate change? It seems really simple when you put it that way, right? Yeah. On its face, it seems really simple, but there are greater minds than I who are tackling this issue of climate change conversations and communications. And it's a really dense, complex issue. Um, some, something I read recently was that when people were presented with information about, let's say, I believe it was a study um, showing people about how sea level rise would affect them in Florida, they essentially doubled down on their previous beliefs. It didn't change their behavior. The way we communicate in metaphor also has an impact on whether or not people understand or decide to change their behavior. So I presented a simple example, and it's fact it's complex because humans are, are complex, and there's no, I think, one solution to how we should all communicate about it. Right. What about this topic makes it so divisive? You know, I, I think it's such a divisive issue for a number of reasons. Um, number one, science has become really politicized. You know, we often hear things like believe science and trust science. And over the course of this past year, those messages especially have become pretty politicized, right? Um, and it's also, you know, when we think about climate change, again, it's this big, broad-based, abstract, it can feel really abstract idea. Um, and at the end of the day, it's also, you know, something that requires people to potentially change. And I think that can be really hard to come to terms with. So you're dealing with all of these kind of problems within a problem. And it's also something that, you know, we don't necessarily think is affecting us day to day. It's something further down the line that we can think about a little bit later, a problem we can defer. So I think all of those things add up to kind of these difficulties that we might have in communicating climate change issues and, you know, how we change and sway minds. Climate education and climate literacy is something that we are involved in as an organization and with our relationship with the North American Association for Environmental Education. And a lot of times this education starts uh, in K through 12, right? So how do we um, give kids the skills to know and understand science and also have the um, skills to make good, and good decisions about the environment and their communities? Um, one of the things that we're working on with a coalition of organizations is moving forward with the introduction of a climate literacy education bill, hopefully having that introduced. And that, of course, would be on kind of the, the federal level. So ensuring that we have quality climate literacy education in K through 12, post-secondary and community education as well, is one way that we can begin to bridge some of that divide. Um, and really just kind of, um, you know, again, trying to move away from certain topics being divisive, right? And I think a lot of that might come from, well, we're going to teach about climate change or climate literacy, and we're going to tell you that you have to change absolutely everything that you are doing. 
But really what we need to start with is an understanding of how the environment works and functions and how the climate works and functions and how we are a part of that too. I think starting from that base rather than um, villainizing somebody from their beliefs can hopefully go a long way towards making some of these changes. Like environmental education and climate literacy education are vitally important, right? To make sure that Utah is a beautiful place for us to continue to live in and recreate for generations to come. That Utah continues to have a strong economy for generations to come. And that we're continuing to have the same thriving communities that are warm, welcoming places to live for years to come. And the way that we interact with the environment has a big part of that. Thanks so much for joining us here on KSL Plus this week. We'll see you again next week.